Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. So Ruth, Sam and Lee are poised to go through the subjects for this week's talking points. The clock is almost ready. Uh, at two minutes per subject. You know the drill. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay. Um, I <clears throat> hate to have to start with this one, uh, but it's another brawl on a race course, this time at Haydock, Lee. Yeah, not good at all. Um, so social media last night was awash with pictures of scenes at Haydock that took place just as the final race was being run up to around 50 people. It was reported taking part in a fight on pretty much on the members' lawn. So right in front of the, of the grandstands, um, there were pictures of a lady with a young child trying to escape the scene. And it's all pretty horrible for racing. Now, there was talk this week that the, the flu crisis created negative headlines for racing. I don't believe that's the case at all, but this certainly does. And it comes on the back of what happened last year when we had fights and nasty fights at Ascot, Goodwood and Hexham. Um, I wasn't at Haydock yesterday, I was at Ascot, so I can't comment on how much security they had. Certainly in the pictures that you see and the videos that are online of what happened, this certainly wasn't the case that all the security team there seemed to be that active in dealing with the scenario. But you have to balance that with the fact that the security staff probably haven't been paid a huge amount for what they're doing at the track. And would everybody want to put themselves in the front line of danger like that. Um, I don't know what the, the sniffer dog presence was at Haydock yesterday because certainly there are reports on social media that back up what we saw last year that cocaine and drugs were probably an issue there yesterday. If that's the case, it's worrying. And what is also interesting is another point or a series of points that were made by people yesterday was that this doesn't seem to happen in Ireland. You know, this happened at a number of race meetings in Britain last year, happened again now. Mm. You haven't had these similar events in Ireland, and that raises questions as to why we're getting it and nobody else seems to. We're running out of time, but I really want to hear your thoughts on this as well, Ruth and Sam. Ruth, you were saying earlier on it, it might just be a reflection of society, not just race goers. Yeah, I just think that um, it, it's maybe not just... It's maybe not race goers themselves, it's maybe just that society seems to be more inclined to kick off at the smallest thing and it seems socially acceptable. Um, now to to be like that, so maybe it's it's not just racing; it's just that that's how people think it's okay to behave, which is awful <laughs> and wrong, uh, Sam. But how do we stop it? What do we do? It's a tough one. I think Ireland, obviously, you get a, the fan bases; they go, they love the horses. They obviously go for for for, for all the, the right reasons. Whereas sometimes in England, we see it; people might go racing for the wrong reasons. For the the, gam the gambling is obviously a key part. But for the drinking oh. and the the party side of racing, which can be fantastic, but obviously sometimes we all know of alcohol, so things can get out, get out of hand. Indeed, even at Ascot, yes, there were football chants uh, in between really? later on, just after the, I think after the, the main race, uh, around the, the paddock. So it's something that's got to be addressed, and it, because we, what we do want to do is uh, wait till something really bad happens. Let's try and get there before yeah. uh, it does. Uh, move on and talk about uh, the Lazies Syndicate. Uh, Lee, I might come to you on this one, first of all. Um, because this is a situation that is affecting uh, quite a few people who got involved in this syndicate. Now, one of the things that we do know which is positive is that the trainers who have horses uh, for the syndicate are getting paid, mm. but people who invested in the syndicate are worried about their investment. Yeah, understandably so. Um, the, the guy involved has reportedly filed for, for bankruptcy, which raises huge question marks for people who've invested in it. Um, and it also, I think, just raises wider question marks about when 
new money comes into horse racing like this, to what extent people who are investing with those individuals are able to carry out the sort of due diligence that in other industries you, you probably want to. I mean, for example, if, if someone, Ruth, knocks on your door and says, hi, Ruth, I've got a hundred grand to spend on two horses, can you go to Doncaster and buy me two stores? To what extent can you, or do you, do checks into the veracity of this guy's claims? Um, well, you do what you can, it depends. If they've been an owner before, you can always track back where they've been and, and ring mm. up and check that they're good at paying the bills. Um, if they've not, then you know, it's more going through a company's house and checking that they're actually financially stable. There are ways and means. And would you be asking for money in advance from a new client? Um, oh, I've never done that before. Um, I don't know. I've never, we've never been in that situation. Mm. Um, so I'm presuming that a lot of people do, and I know there are some trainers who pay training fees in advance, aren't they, on set fees, but um, I think it's just finding out as much as you can and covering yourself. So you look can. at people in racing, and, and there are a lot of smaller yards that will be prepared mm. to take a chance, won't they, on yeah. owners that don't mm. have uh, a significant think, history in it. I think this is different, isn't it, because it was a betting syndicate which then became a racing yeah. syndicate, but no-one said that the betting syndicate was paying for the racehorses. Mm. Um, you know, I think John Best had nine, didn't he, and yeah. then a lot of people had one, and it's yeah. where it goes from that. Now he's, all his assets have been froze. Mm. Yeah. You know, will John Best get paid for those nine horses? What will he do with them, and what will the outcome be? It's a, it's a story that we'll, we'll pay some interest to in the next uh, few days or so. Uh, the Grand National Weights, uh, the lunch took place last week. Uh, the weights announced. Um, so one of the interesting <coughs> angles about this was that Gordon Elliott was suggesting that he might have 12, 13, 14 runners in the race. Is that, is that something that should happen? Should we perhaps keep an eye on whether someone dominates a, a big race like that with the I entries? I think it's okay if you're lucky enough to have kind of the strength and depth to be, to be able to do it. And the Nationals are a very prestigious race. If, if I had the horses to do it, I'd have as many goes as I could. <laughs> and it's a race everyone loves to win. And obviously with Gordon winning it last year, he's got a strong team. And um, looks like he's got a fantastic squad going there again. Uh, what do you think about that, Ruth? Yeah, the thing is, it's, the, it's a horse race, isn't it? The best horses should run in a horse race. Um, and if he has 12... So be it. So you feel in agreement, do you? <laughs> not, in, not, not completely. I mean, first, first thing I say is that Gordon Elliott is doing nothing wrong. Absolutely. Gordon Elliott is running, wants to run as many horses as he can in the Grand National, and that's absolutely as he should do. Is it good for the Grand National? No, it's not, because I think people watching the race, certainly racing fans, well, they won't be put off. They won't be enamoured of the fact that one set of connections might have 12, 15 runners in the race. So I don't think it's a great thing, but I don't think Gordon Elliott is doing anything wrong, and I don't think we can start changing the rules to prevent it happening. Um, on a more positive light, I think it was great that the race was launched in Liverpool. It's not just about a lunch jamboree, it's about okay, launching the Grand National, telling the world the Grand National is almost upon us. For years, that's been done in London, yeah, yeah. which is as perverse as launching Royal Ascot in Birkenhead. It makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. It's Liverpool's race, and there is no horse race in Britain where the community that hosts that race is as passionate about the race mm. as Liverpudlians are about the Grand National. Mm. One of the great things about the Grand National, and therefore it's absolutely right the race was launched in Liverpool, where Gordon Elliott might have many runners this year. And they'll all be on merit. That's the most Absol important yeah, thing absolutely. if they all yeah. run that. It's, yeah. it's merit. Uh, moving on, talking about another Gordon, uh, Josephine Gordon this time. Uh, she is taking the opportunity, uh, Sal, I'll come to you on this, 
to go freelance, uh, having uh, signed up with Hugo Palmer uh, a year or so ago. Yeah, obviously got um, she's absolutely fine. She's got a fantastic agent, very good racing brain, and is, an, is, a, is a very good jockey. No, nothing's changed overnight. She's still ride a hell of a lot of winners. Obviously, it's just the opportunity now to branch out, ride for new people, visit new trainers, and um, hopefully it'll all go well. It's might be a difficult thing to say because she was on an upward curve when she went to Hugo's, then sort of flattened out riding at Hugo's. She still did, did quite well, but perhaps that upward curve could have uh, continued rising had she not. What do you think? No, I don't think that. I think when you lose your claim, you always have a year or so where you plateau out a little bit, didn't she? And I don't think... Um, she hurt her hand. She missed, yeah. missed a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. And did Hugo Palmer have the best season last year? Because... He increased his winner's total year on year, which yeah. is which is maybe another reason in, in Josephine's thinking. If Hugo's total has gone up, but maybe she hasn't seen her progression uh, continue as rapidly. Same but ratio, but it's, yeah. it's that difficult thing, isn't it? When, as you experienced with, with, with Paul, when you're tied to one yard, um, and if you're not necessarily getting all the first choice rides for that yard, you can be in a point where you're on declarations morning for a day, and you're just not sure whether you're going to be at Asker or Haydock. And those people that you might be getting rides for from Asker or Haydock are waiting on you, mm. saying, where are you going to be, Sam? Where are you going to be, Josephine? And if you can't give them that confirmation at that point, they look elsewhere. So that's maybe in I a think, thinking. I think there's that much racing on the flat, though. You, you, you'll do fine as a freelance. There's that much racing. You mm. get into a few yards, you mm. start picking up spares, you get a bit of momentum, you suddenly become everyone's favourite spare jockey, don't you? Mm. It um, makes some difference being able to pin your flag. So if you're, one of your lads said, on Monday, I can definitely go to... Ask on the Saturday, you've got a better form of basis to book a mm. full card mm. rather than leaving it till Friday where you don't know where you're going. Okay. And it's a sign of her ambition, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Good to see her wanting to go on and, and, and do better. So we've spoken about Gordon Elliott, Josephine Gordon, Gordon Bennett next. No, <laughs> terrible link, isn't it? Uh, Charlie Bennett uh, picked up a significant ban uh, for an incident, careless riding at Kempton. Um, but that ban has been overturned. Um, what, what happened here? So it was a race actually on the day that the flu crisis launched, on the, on the Wednesday of last week, when, ironically, the BHA was entertaining the senior leaders of the RSPCA at Kempton to give them further insight into how a day at the races operates, because the RSPCA has got a new chief executive. Um, in the very opening race, a John Gosden for the Bahasa for the fatal injury, um, and the stewards judged that Charlie Bennett, who was running that race for Huey Morrison, um, was guilty of interference that had caused the incident in which Rab Havlin was also badly hurt. As is the, the process, Charlie was absolutely entitled to appeal that decision. He duly appealed that decision and he was successful. But it, it, the, the, the reason that was a controversy was that the Professional Jockeys Association, they took the view that the incident was so clearly, in their opinion, not Charlie's fault that the BHA should have used powers within its um, grasp to, if you like, rescind the penalty there and then and to prevent the need for an appeal hearing. That created a war of words between the two organisations. I sense that both sides have maybe backed off a little bit from what was said at the time and maybe there was a strength of view expressed that went beyond the what maybe should have been expressed with hindsight, um, and I think it's one that all parties would now try and move on from. Mm. So is it just a case now that we've got to the right result, but it's become a, it was a bit circuitous, and, and we could have done without half of the 
hassle that went with it. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously all, all the, the war of words afterwards, but the PGAO does what, what they what's best by us, really. Um, obviously, Rob Havlin's um, health is what the main thing in there. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, Charlie Bennett wants to be riding and earning money. So. That's probably also the case that a, a jockey that's involved in an incident like that feels double pressure when he knows another jockey has yeah, been hurt been, because of it and a horse has, has, has lost the horse's life. The, so, the stigma that would have been attached yeah. to that incident if they said it was his fault can't have been yeah. a nice thing. Uh, last subject for this week's talking points, ARC prize money. Not the race in France, but the amount of money put up by ARC racecourses. Uh, they have taken the decision, Ruth, to reduce prize money uh, to compensate for the potential loss through FOBT's stake reductions. Is that the right approach? It's their approach. Um, whether it's the right approach or not, I don't know. Um, it seems odd that they've cut prize money without knowing the actual effect. Um, you know, it's, there's cause and effect, and there's a you can you can wait to find out, and then. Thing. I presume that they budgeted for prize money up until this effect. Um, I'm not sure how far their budgeting goes in advance, but it's a hell of a shame. It is a shame because, you know, training horses hasn't got any cheaper um, and owning horses hasn't got any cheaper, so it's going to have a knock-on effect, um, you know, down the line. Sam, we're seeing evidence of some of the races that have had their prize money reduced, and it's, it's very disappointing to see. Yeah, we've, we've smaller owners with, with one horse who... Um, it might not. It hasn't been an expensive horse, so it ends up being of the lower level. And then it's how do you warrant keeping going when the bear winning a race can barely cover the costs? In the day, feed go, feed's gone up. Hay is obviously as expensive as ever, and bedding's never never cheap. So the training and, and running of a racehorse yard, the costs can't come down. And if you've got an owner who's passionate about their horse and loves it as they should, and they want to run in a naught to hundred around yeah. Sedgefield for next to not enough to yeah. pay your month's training bill, then it's just make it a little bit harder to keep horses going. But Lee, surely as a business, ARC are doing the right thing? They're taking, a, they're taking a, a, a strong commercial decision, but it's one that doesn't marry with the decision taken by Jockey Club Racecourses, who are honouring their executive contribution um, plan. What is clear is that racing and racecourses will be watching the news this year to see that from April, when this new FOBT legislation kicks in, how many betting shop closes because racecourse income is largely these days dependent on media rights income from bookmakers and we saw that with the flu crisis mm. with ARC saying they lost up to two million pounds over the six days when there was no racing and the jockey club claiming they lost about all RMG tracks within which this company sits lost about 1.5 million pounds in lost income so it's going to be a big issue this year while JCR and big independents like York are honouring their contributions for all racecourses from next year onwards, a lot will depend on what happens in betting shops, two betting shops this year, and whether they continue as betting shops or they don't. That's not an ideal situation, mm. but it's the one that we're in. A few worrying signs. A few worrying signs. Not only are, I mean, you saw the news uh, recently about Godolphin uh, reducing sponsorship. Even something like that having a knock on effect yeah. across the industry. Well, I think that's, we should probably say with Godolphin, that is to an extent slightly different in that Godolphin as a business is not run as though no. it's not run like no. a normal business it's much more dependent mm. on certain individuals and they don't have the same strategic policies that other businesses would do mm. um, as you've seen with the stud and stable staff awards it will have in london tomorrow night but ireland stud and stable staff awards would were stopped just before publication went out of their 
the nominations process. So that's another big one we're watching. Yes, uh, a lot uh, to still keep our eye out mm. for uh, in the coming weeks with regards to uh, sponsorship, prize money, etc. But that has been this week's Talking Points on Lock on Sunday. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai.